G'day Dons fans and welcome to our first Don The Stat review slash preview of 2024. I'm Jonathan Walsh and joining me in Don The Stat HQ, as always, is Ian Hume. Hume, how's things, mate? Hi, Jono. Bit tired here. It's, it's been a big week at work for me, but I've got a weekend away with the family to look forward to, though. So hopefully we'll be able to recharge the batteries a bit. How about yourself? Yeah, that's exciting, mate. Uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Been a busy week for me too. Works, uh, yeah, lots going on, which is great. And uh, there's lots of footy to watch at the moment with everyone playing their second round of practice matches. So that's been nice to put the, their feet up of an evening and, and watch a little bit of footy as well. So yeah, mate, can't complain at the moment. Feeling good about things. Yeah, and getting still get even after the result last week, still getting excited for the season to come. Well, look, firstly, before we get into the review of the St Kilda game, we want to thank everyone for the great feedback on our inaugural Thirst Forts match reaction show. We were debating how to go about structuring it, and I think we've hit on a good model built off your knowledge of how the Essendon coaches undertook match review in the late 90s and early 2000s. We'll keep working to improve it, but I'm looking forward to how it will evolve over the course of the year. Hopefully... In future episodes, it'll be easier to come up with the positives rather than the negatives as the season progresses. Yeah, that would be nice, mate. It was a match simulation for the team and very much a simulation for us too. So glad it's been received well and, and we got some good feedback and we've got another opportunity to practice the format this week ahead of round one. Absolutely. Uh, another, as Jono mentioned there, another first thoughts we'll be releasing after the Geelong game tomorrow. Uh, I'm unavailable. So your brother, Andrew, who joined us a couple of times last year, will be filling in for me. Uh, This will be released once again on the main feed in the hours following the completion of the game. But from round one onwards, first thought episodes will be exclusive to Patreon through the regular season. Yeah, Andrew has tried to claim that the growth of Don the Stat over the last 12 months is down to his contribution. I'd I'd like to think you and I get a little bit of credit, mate, but it'll be good to have him along and, yeah, have a brief chat about our initial thoughts following the Cats game tomorrow. Absolutely. Speaking of Patreon, we always like to give a shout-out to those who have joined us in the the previous week, Um, as well as shout-out to those people who join us from our Patreon Q&A. It's really, once again, a lot of fun to put together and uh, as we said at the time, there'll be another one of those during the mid-season buy. Uh, so a big shout out to all our new patrons, uh, Esky, Dion Felberg, Travis Dunn, Sarah Nutbean, Aaron Fleming, Christian Udovic, Alistair Hewitt and Robert Tinney. We appreciate your support and thanks for joining our burgeoning community. Yeah, Patreon's been on fire, mate. We've had lots of new subscribers over the last few days or the last couple of weeks, which has been awesome. Lots of new content. We've, we've started putting up some opposition reviews and analysis which will build on throughout the year and there's been lots of good chat and discussion as well so it's been good fun to yeah really engage with that community and and as you said really appreciate the support yeah and uh next week's going to be our season preview and we're already getting some good input from our patrons on some of the content that we're going to be bringing up there and some ideas of what Essendon's strengths and weaknesses are so we're making sure that we'll reference those in that week's show well look Let's get into the St Kilda match review and look, it really was a case of deja vu for the Bombers. So last year in the in the practice match held at Moorabbin before the season, Essendon lost and again, the same thing happened this year, although the margin this time was 66 points as opposed to 35 the previous year. Uh, having, seeing the reaction online and given the way the Bombers ended 2024, I think we're all hoping for an improved performance. So a lot of you know frustration amongst the fans is understandable somewhat that they haven't seen the development over the summer in that one practice match. But look, as always, in, in true Don the Stat fashion, we're going to take the good with the bad and, and try to provide a, a balanced perspective. Yeah, that's right. There, there's no 
sugarcoating it isn't is there mate it was a pretty ordinary performance and we don't really know what we were looking to get out of it if we take Zach Merritt's word for it it was really just about trying some things getting some miles into the legs introducing some new players and yeah we seemingly got out of it with a clean bill of health so that's the that's the biggest bonus I think yeah I think it did it did seem like we were trying to play our way the way that we we're looking to play for if we're playing a game at the MCG or or at Marvel uh trying to implement that game style and obviously St Kilda are playing on their home ground so they understand the conditions both in terms of the weather and, and the shape of the ground a lot more than than we do so I guess should we have tried to adapt to the conditions more or do you think trying to build on what we think is going to be a successful game plan on the ground so we're going to play the vast majority of our games is, is that a better way forward or are you trying do you want to try and build and, and get those early wins on the board so you build confidence in the group uh, we, we don't really know. We, we'd be guessing and making some assumptions. I think uh, if we put this game out of it and, and just treat it as a, as a general hypothetical, I think you would be looking to, to start to implement a game style that you want to take into the season come round one, regardless of what the conditions bring up. So, uh, you know, I do think that was a uh, sort of rephrase that a little bit. Uh, I felt our intent was to try and move the ball faster than than what we did in in 2023. We we were attempting to be more direct, particularly in the in the first half where we had, I guess, a, a lot closer to our stronger side out on the park before Stringer and Merritt and and then Reid uh, got pulled at half time. So uh, you know, longer kicks, attempting deeper entries, but uh, and you know, we even heard Brad Scott talk in the um, over the preseason that. Part of the motivation to moving Nick Martin behind the ball and, and playing at half back, and we'll touch on him in a moment, was about that uh, ability to move the ball faster and, and be more direct with our game plan. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that suited the conditions that were served up. The the wind was yeah really swirling and, and really holding up. Mirabin's a ground that's a little bit unusually shaped in that it's got quite narrow pockets, so there's not a lot of width. Uh, and we are a team that likes to go wide, particularly from kick-ins, and then try and run and carry from there. So, I, look, I, I don't think it it suited the way that we look like we want to play, um, and that's not really trying to spin a, a big negative into any sort of positive. I, I just think it, it's likely to be the reality of it. There are still a lot of things that, that I would have liked to have seen that were better. And granted, St Kilda had the same conditions and, and obviously ones that they uh, are used to. But overall, to answer your question, we should be trying to play the way that we want to play and and ignore the conditions in a, in a match simulation. Uh, you know, there's there's no points up for grabs. There's nothing to to take, you know, in from adjusting your game style and, and trying to win a game in, in a situation like that. Yeah. Well, look, you, you touched on it just then with the move of Nick Martin to the back line, it's probably the biggest positional change of the off season uh, with Nick Martin starting off that uh, half back and then trying to make use of his, his skills to, to drive the ball forward. Um, big thanks to AFL central on Twitter who manually watched the game and took the stats from the game. Uh, that's a fair effort from, from him when it's not being tracked anywhere else. So that, that gives us a bit of an insight, but Nick Martin led our possession count with 29. I think the next best was uh, Darcy Parrish with 22. So he obviously had a lot of opportunity to get the ball, given it was stuck in our back line uh, for much of the game. But that's still a fairly impressive effort. And it was noticeable how often we were looking to give him the ball, um, how often he was given the ball while he was on the run. And he did pull off some fairly ambitious kicks through the middle that 
you know, in a, in better conditions with a, a team that, that's playing a bit better is going to give us a lot more opportunities to to score and create, you know, offensive moves from there. I still, still do think there's some defensive aspects that he needs to work on, but you can also cover that with good team defense. So it's it's not something that I think is going to cause a major problem for us in the long run, the defensive aspects. If we as if the Bombers as a team are able to cover for those and, you know, for example, Wings pushing back, and I think we've touched on it before, but I think that's part of the reason why a Jake Kelly is being trained on the wing to sort of fill that role there. Um, how did you see his game on the weekend? And is, are you feeling like this is the position for him going forward? I don't think it's the ultimate position for him going forward, but it's certainly going to be something that he's going to do a fair bit of in 2024. I, I still would like to see him evolve to become a, a midfielder. And, you know, who knows? We, we might still see that at, at times in 20, 2024 anyway. And just to elaborate on on one of your points there, man, I, I don't think it was always a case of his teammates looking to give him the ball. I think he was just, and it, it's, it surprised me, and perhaps it shouldn't have, at how good he was at getting to the right position and demanding the ball. He he just got himself into position to to get the footy, whether it was him winning it off his own bat or or receiving it from a teammate, and and that was the most impressive part for me watching him for the first time in that role his his anticipation and positioning was excellent so yeah there's something to work with there and I think Peter Wright's going to enjoy it he, he's going to get a lot more direct footy because of it uh and and faster ball movement and and that'll also help you know the likes of Langford etc as well uh you know once we're playing in a in a proper stadium where moving the ball forward more efficiently is, is going to work a bit better than it did in the the blustery conditions out at Moorabbin yeah well I guess Touching on the defensive structure as a whole, and again, obviously they were overwhelmed by the weight of St Kilda's forward entries. I think, particularly for the first half, they held up well in preventing marks. Although the the ground ball was a bit of a concern there, but um, particularly with regards to Reed and Mackay, who who played well, Reed played for that first half. Uh, how did they seem to be working together? Did they did they seem to be getting in each other's way a lot, or did they seem to have a, a decent connection, having trained a lot together over the summer? They weren't getting in one another's way. I, I, I didn't notice that. Uh, what I did notice is that their handovers need a, a fair bit of work. And for those not familiar with what that term means, at, at various times we were we were keeping Mackay as our deepest defender and then at other times it was Reid. And, and that was a little bit interchangeable. I, I think we were just trying to expose both of them back there at different times, uh, you know, as as you should in a, in a match simulation. And what that would mean is if... Uh, to use an example, if, if if it was Reed's turn to stay as our deepest defender and his forward went up the ground, then McKay, McKay would pick him up and, and Reed would then round up at McKay's opponent. So they'd effectively swap the forward that they were looking after. They didn't get that right. Uh, and and that, that came unstuck a number of times. And there were a few times where, you know, King and Membry were able to to get back to goal before, you know, either Reed or McKay. So that, that needs some work. I'm not too fussed about that, though, mate. It, it was their first time together. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it was going to be a little bit messy. Uh, so, yeah, not not too fast. That'll get better and better. And, you know, what we did do is we got a, a real insight into Zach Reed's qualities in a half of footy, didn't we? And, and that's really exciting. His closing speed was good. He does read the game really, really well. His positioning was excellent. I, I was in the first quarter, I was sitting at our defensive end of the ground, um, you know, at the in the back row of, of that 
uh, you know, small grandstand there at Moorabbin. So I, I was almost above him. And, yeah, he, his positioning was really, really impressive. He clearly has a high football IQ and, and really knows what he's doing out there on a football field. And, and I really liked what I saw of him and, and that relationship with, with Mackay is only going to get better and better. We also now introduce Ridley back into that team, and and I think that helps cover what what Ridley is really good at is is covering four defensive mishaps anywhere on the ground really, and and he's going to really help those two uh, do their job a lot better. So yeah, I, I think that uh, whilst it was messy and sloppy, it's not something I'm I'm too fussed about at this stage. And defending obviously becomes a lot easier if you're defending from higher up the ground too. And and we didn't do much of that at Moorabbin. So if, uh, you know, so often our entries were shallow due to the forward issues and, and, and you know, disconnection, some of those points that you raised. We saw some great examples in 2023 against Hawthorne in round one in, in parts of that game against GWS early in the season against Melbourne in gather round where we were able to really lock the ball in our forward half and create re-entries and generate scores from it. So the big question mark is, is can we do it consistently? Do we have the ability to take it from a sometimes thing to a most of the time thing? And do Gresham, Dersma, McKay and Reid help close that gap? And now we get the opportunity to see what it looks like with Wright and um, and Ridley back in the mix as well. And and I do think Wright is an important part of it, not because he's going to do a lot of defending, but he gives us that focal point up forward to to really encourage deeper entries and help bring the ball to the ground to make sure that our, our smalls can help lock it in. Yeah, and I think given who we're coming up against in the next practice match, a lot of these issues will be tested again. So it'll be interesting to see if they've made any improvements in that against Geelong. Uh, and again, something you, you touched on, the forward entries. Again, we, we talked about how frustrating this game was for a lot of people and, and just the nature of the forward entries, how it, it seemed that St Kilda was able to cut them off quite easily. And, and you mentioned that they, they were quite shallow. Um, I think St Kilda's pressure was part of the issue that, that forced us to take long kicks into the forward line, um, which again is something that, that gives Essendon fans a, a bit of you know, worry considering what's happened in, in the past with that. But you, you touched on the fact that Peter Wright was absent. Was, is part of that mainly down to the fact that he's absent and so they don't have that clear target that is going to demand the ball and, and force them to, to go long? I think it was part of it. I, I also do think, particularly in that, uh, well, in, in both the first and second quarter, we just weren't able to penetrate and get entries as deep as we would have liked. For a lot of last year, you know, up until that point in the season where we were fifth on the ladder, we were actually a really effective team at going forward. We were one of the, the better sides in the competition at, at getting inside 50 and converting those opportunities into scores at a, at a high rate. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but, but I do recall us being right up there towards the top. What we weren't good at is getting you know, what I'd call ugly ball inside our forward 50 and then locking it in. We uh, we played that sort of more controlled possession and and look for targets. So we're, we're pretty good at finding targets inside 50 as a rule, right? And that was with or without Peter Wright last year. What we weren't good at was just being able to go deep inside 50 on a, a semi-regular basis and then lock the ball in, uh, at, at, in at, at times where we didn't have clear, you know, one-on-one or, or open forwards. So, that's the bit of the game that I, I 
it clearly looked to me that we were trying to work on last week, but we just weren't able to get the penetration to get the ball deep inside 50. Yes, Peter Wright makes it better because midfielders look up and they see him and he's got a presence. Langford can get lost a little bit. Jones, you know, does most of his work uh, sort of sideways uh, and and trying to create space in in behind him. And, and Wiedemann was sort of playing a bit of a hybrid role, spending a little bit of time in the ruck. And, and it's not really his game either, whereas Wright's that one big physical presence for us that really does demand the ball. So, yeah, that that ugly entry and locking it in bit is, is the bit that I'm still concerned about because we just haven't yet seen how we're – seen a method to be able to do that. Uh First look at Wright and Gresham together this week, though. They're, they're the two changes from from what we saw for a lot of last year that, that can help us in that area. So, yeah, keen to see how it looks. Yeah. Well, let's let's end the match review on a positive. And, and one area that I think we showed we can we can have an advantage against teams is in, is in the centre bounce. And so really watching that game up until the last half of the final quarter, we seem to have dominance in that area. We were winning the majority of the centre bounces, although the Saints were missing a couple of their keys in that area from last year and in Brad Crouch and, and Hunter Clark. Although, again, we Zach Merritt sat out, uh, Ben Hobbs wasn't playing. So, both sides were missing. Um, sorry, Zach Merritt sat out the second half and, and Ben Hobbs wasn't playing. So, both sides were missing some uh, talent from their centre bounce lineup. Um, my big concern, though, is we were really good at winning the centre bounce, but it was very difficult to generate much in scoring from that area. It seemed that when we did win the ball, we were forced wide or we were forced out of the back, and that delayed the ball getting into our forward line, which allowed St Kilda to get back and set up. And St Kilda already a side that is really well set up at centre bounces to, to stop those sort of scores. So it did make it difficult to any, get any advantage from winning those centre bounces. Um, and I know that, you know, the better sides are the best at defending from from those stop plays, those those centre bounces where they have that time to, to set up exactly how they want to. But how do we, how do we get to a point where we can, more often win those centre bounces and get out the front and then turn that that advantage we have at the centre bounce into a scoreboard advantage. Yeah, I, I guess there's winning clearance and then there's winning quality clearance, isn't there? And and then back to that earlier point, uh, uh, that ability to win, uh, you know, ugly entries and just get the ball in and then, then lock it in. So, uh, yeah, I, we didn't win a lot of quality clearance we were rotating heavily, you know, again, there's no data on it. So I'm going by I, but it didn't look to me that there was a lot of continuity in the midfield group in, in that game. It was a, a match simulation overall. I think it was largely just about exposing some guys through there rather than any genuine thought to balance, uh, you know, getting that balance between defense, between the contest, you know, the ball hunters, and then the, the spreaders, the guys that can run and carry out of a stoppage uh, wasn't something that it looked to me that we put a lot of planning or thought into. It was just, yeah, get some guys rotating through there. Everyone got a bit of a turn. It was a, a little bit like junior footy in, in some cases, mate. It just, just full-on rotations everywhere. Uh, and, look, that was another point that Zach Merritt alluded to earlier in the week that, that you know, they were trying some different things in there. We saw Durham. We saw Perkins later in the game. So, I look, I think it just comes with, better balance and then that approved ability to get the ball long into your forward line, even when you don't have it an obvious target and, and lock the ball down and, and lock it in. Uh, so yeah, I think they're the, the main little bits for me, mate, but not losing any sleep over it at this stage. Yeah. There's plenty to work with there. And you would hope that over time they can turn that into a real, you know, advantage that we can, we can press against other teams. 
Well, look, before we wrap up on the St Kilda game, we did our best 23s in the weeks leading up in, into the practice matches. Uh, based on what you saw in that St Kilda game, is there any changes you would be having to your, your first 23 to face Hawthorne at this stage? Not right at the moment. I did like what I saw of Durham in the midfield and rotating half forward. I, you know, I've probably spoken ad nauseum about my concerns around our half forward line and and the contribution or lack thereof that the likes of Guelphie, Hobbs and and Caldwell and, and at times Perkins as well have made in that role defensively and, and how that opens us up. So I, I do want us to have another look at how he goes against Geelong and if he continues in that role. And if he goes well again, then I think I'd be moving his role in, in the side that I put forward and that would then open up a spot for another wingman, which is either going to need to be one of those mids rotating through there. So, you know, Perkins and Caldwell, for example, or Cox comes in as that defensive winger and a, a midfielder slides out of the, the 22 that I picked a couple of weeks ago. So that's the, the big watch for me this week in terms of the team that I put forward. We haven't seen Draper yet, so no change from my view on playing one ruck and going with Goldstein. I'd like to see more from Jones this week than we did last week, but you know, I, I thought he was ahead of Wiedemann and, and granted that wasn't a bar that was set particularly high on last Friday's performance and we haven't seen Caddy yet. So at the moment, I'm not making a change there. And Hobbs was the notable one that I left out and, and we haven't seen him yet either. So I'm holding firm right now. What about you? Yeah, I I think we need to see another game uh, before we can make real, real judgments about that. As you say, there was so much rotation and, and you know, players being rested for, for the second half or only getting to play a half that it's hard to say, right, you're in or, or you're definitely not playing in that round one game. Just to touch on something you brought up there, you brought up that maybe if Durham is that inside mid um, half forward rotation role, uh, it does seem like they are playing Sardis on the wing there. Um, and maybe they're looking at that as the way to get him into the side again with, with Dersmer on the other wing um, and then Durham sort of rotating through that, that middle forward, uh, wing position there. So he couldn't be another option as, as that winger if, if Durham does play more of that midfield half-forward role. Yeah, it's a good point. He, he's a name that that slipped through me. And uh, and yeah, you're right. He did spend a fair bit of time on the wing and it's it's uh, a role that he played a fair bit of in his under-18 year before he was drafted. So it's, you know, even though he probably, people would say that he played his best football as a, a centre-bounce midfielder, the wing role's not fo- foreign to him either. Uh, so yeah, it, it could be a, another way to to get um, you know some uh, some games under his belt uh, without having to break into that centre bounce rotation. I did like some of the bits that I saw of his game. I, I do think that he's he looks like he's got a little bit more confidence in his body. He's prepared to be a little bit more physical uh, than than he was last year. His hands are really really clean, mate, and I really really like that about his game. He, he's good in in the clinches and being able to distribute. So he had some strings and he had some speed and 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 carry doesn't he uh and and obviously he's doing a lot of work on his kicking which is great to see i also saw some green shoots from cox and and his competitiveness and and using his body as well uh on ground balls didn't necessarily see much of it in the air there was a couple of times where he contested really well and went back with a flight at, at one stage and 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 drop back in front of some traffic, which was nice to see, but just saw a couple of times where he he bent down for a ground ball, rode the bump and and was able to hold onto the ball and, and distribute it effectively. And and also just looked to move the ball a bit quicker than what we saw uh, last year. So yeah, just, just before we completely close out uh, the St. Kilda game talk, I, I wanted to add that in there. Uh, moving on though, mate, what caught your eye in the news this week? 
Yeah, so the big news that, that came out yesterday was that uh, Jordan Ridley is going to extend his deal. He already had a contract all the way to 2026, and now that's been stretched out to 2029. And it's the second extension of that sort we've seen this year of, of an honorary contracted player. So we saw Kyle Langford uh, get an extra year on his contract. And, you know, there was some some members of the media that we won't name but who, who were criticising the move or, or not rating Jordan Ridley as high. But, you know, that just shows just how underrated he is as, as a player. He's absolutely outstanding and, and absolute key for us going forward. Um, and as nice as it is to get those players locked away for longer periods, I think the real benefit of extending these contracts is that by rewriting the contract, you can rewrite how the money is spent year on year. Uh, I think even even though we did bring in those free agents with the increase in the salary cap, we still have a fair bit of space in our salary cap, even for this year. And so I think what they've probably done is that they've rearranged, brought more of Ridley's money forward and, and giving him extended out so that they can still target those free agent sort of players or can offer big contracts to to players that may not be free agents that other teams can't afford to match. And so we have to force a trade there. So I think it's smart business to do that sort of thing. It's particularly for a player like Ridley that you, you know, barring catastrophic injury, you you would feel pretty confident he's going to be playing quite good football for that extended period of time there. Um, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if they target anyone this year. I've, I've had a bit of a look at the free agency list and, you know, other than some unrealistic ones like a, a Hugh McCluggage, you, you can't possibly see leaving Brit, a team like Brisbane. Um, there's not really anyone that stands out to me as, as someone you you definitely want to get. But as we go through the season and get a better sense of, of where the list is at and where the gaps are at, there may be some players that, that would be t- worth targeting like you know, there was probably no one at the start of last season who was looking at Jay Gresham and going, yeah, that's the sort of player we want to get. But as the season went on and we realised that we we did need that sort of half forward, small forward role, he became more attractive there. So I think as the season goes on, that list of free agents will be able to start narrowing down onto the sort of players that can make us a better side going forward. And we'll have the cap space because of partly because of these renegotiations that we'll be able to get a hold of those players and improve the side for the following year. Yeah, well, surmise, mate. I, I think you're right. I'd imagine we've restructured his deal for for this year as part of the process, front end it, help create more space next year and, and 2026 and, and and you know those final two years of the original deal, and and then even in creating more space for next year, if we're unable to land a, a big fish or or a couple of fish. Uh, and we still have space. We can just do the same thing with a couple of other guys and bring their pay forward to to help spread the the load and and go again the the year after. I, I know Kane Corns hasn't got his head around the changing environment of AFL player contracts just yet, and uh, but this takes him past free agency. It locks him in. We shift cap space around, as you said, and then yeah, as you touched on, we can start planning now for the free agency and trade market for the next couple of years, and and that work will be done, uh, you know, already. I think just on Kane Corns, I think he, he's got his head around it when it's a Port Adelaide player, but when it's anyone in another jumper, it's a, a different story. Yeah, I remember when Port signed... Uh, Dersma. Jason Horn. Oh, uh, no, Jason Horns, oh. Horn Francis, it was, from from North Melbourne. He, he tried to argue that it wasn't a six-year deal because he already had one year of his deal at North Melbourne to go, so it was really only a five-year deal whereas this is a six-year deal for Ridley, despite the fact that he only had three years, but it's really only a five-year deal because he, he was already playing this year anyway. It, it, it 
yeah, he, he really hasn't got his his head around the machinations of it, or or he has, and he's he's probably just trying to stir up trouble. But uh, you know, it, there wasn't a lot of pushback that I saw from him when uh, Port Adelaide signed. Uh, Asava Radigalia on a five-year deal, a, a guy who hasn't played a lot of footy, is a year older than than Ridley, hasn't featured anywhere near a, a best and fairest, you know, a high-end best and fairest result, albeit at a, at a, a better performed club than we've been. But yeah, he, even still, it, it, it does seem a little bit cheeky, his uh, his view of things. But yeah, I yeah, think mate- just, sorry. I think just generally with, with the, the situation with regards to player contracts, I think clubs are a lot smarter about being able to move on bad contracts if they if they have to. They, they we saw with the Grundy deal from Collingwood to, to Melbourne that you know Collingwood were able, we I think everyone at the time thought what a bad deal this was for Collingwood or even going back further you know the Trelaw the Trelaw year where he got moved on uh, you know I think clubs have seen you know the fact that it didn't hurt Collingwood and they were able to it gave them a lot of opportunities moving those players off even if it did cost them having to pay some of the their salary that good clubs can you know even if you have got those long contracts on your book you can make them work and it also just gives you more control over the player and, and the player movement and we're not at the stage where it, we're at an NBA level of of player movement um it does seem like that's that's where we're headed uh but i think clubs are a lot smarter about you know if those long term long-term contracts look like they're going to be going bad. They've got ways of getting them off the books. Um, and so giving you those opportunities in future years. Yeah, that's right. Man. It, it's a bit like the the European and, and English football model. You It gives you the rights to the player for the period that you've got them under contract. They're, they're yours. And and at the moment, we, we can't yet trade players against their will to clubs that they don't want to go to. But the examples that you just gave with Grundy and, and Trelaw are really good ones where they were able to get deals done and, and it hasn't hurt them in terms of how they've managed their salary cap and, and been able to attract other players into the club that they needed to fill roles that they needed to fill. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that happening with, with Jordan Ridley, I should say, but you're right. It, it It's it's the model that clubs are, have now got their head around and, and they're going forwards with. I think most of the football public get it and understand it these days. Uh, maybe there's a few old timers that are yet to catch up. But, yeah, let's move on to, to standard programming, mate. For those that are new listeners to Don the Stat, firstly, thank you for giving us a go and, and getting through this far. It's uh, it's great to have you. Uh, this is going to be follow our regular Thursday night theme. Uh, so if you didn't listen in last year, what we normally do, as we've just done, is review the previous game. So we've had a look at the Saints game and then we'll go into our opposition and the key themes and tactics we'd like to see deployed if we were in charge and, and sitting in the coach's box, heaven forbid. Given it's a practice match, this will be a, a light addition. There's not a lot of data or analysis that we can really dig into, but let's start with selection, mate. Uh, what have you noticed in the teams that have been announced tonight? Yeah, look, I think both sides have, have picked about as strong a side as they could have. And, you know, we're not going to go through the entirety of the list of teams, but I guess just looking at the Geelong, I think people have a fair understanding of, of what the, the best Geelong lineup looks like. But the ones that are missing out, you know, uh, Ollie Henry, Gary Rowan and, and Cam Guthrie uh, are absent due to due to injury. Um, I think, you know, if you, if you look at that Geelong side, yes, Henry and, and Rowan are in their best forward line. Uh, but even without them, that's still a very dangerous forward line. You look at Hawkins, Cameron, Stengel, um, Myers, whilst not a, a scoreboard, direct scoreboard uh, threat, he, he does set up so many goals that he basically, you know, he's, he's almost as good as a 40 goal a year forward on his own with the, his ability to set up. 
uh, his teammates. So, you know, we're, our defense is still going to get a fair, fairly decent workout against that forward line, even without those those two players there. And yeah, Guthrie, um, someone who has been slowing down a bit for them and has taken on a lesser role than he, for them than he had a couple of years back. So again, a really strong midfield to go up against uh, in the practice match there. Yeah, I, they've left Toby Conway out, a young ruckman. I thought they might have gone with him, but uh, for another run under his belt. But they've gone with Stanley, who's obviously their premiership ruckman from a couple of years back, and Shannon Neal, uh, a, a tall forward, you know, comes second ruckman. So that's the the model that they've gone with for for this game. Uh, Connor O'Sullivan, their draft pick, so people might remember his name. He was. Uh, you know, we swapped picks on draft night with Geelong to get ahead of them and, and take Caddy. And then O'Sullivan was drafted to the Cats with the pick after us, uh, you know, what would have otherwise been our pick. So he he slipped out of their match sim team and, and is an emergency as well. And, and a couple of young players in there that are, are worth noting. Sean Manor, who is best on ground in the VFL grand final. We get to have a look at him. And Oliver Dempsey was a player uh, as well that we'll touch on a little bit later when we, we dig a little bit closer. But uh, he showed some good signs in their match sim game and, and they've, uh, they're have they giving him another chance this week. Yeah, and just on Essendon, the notable ins for the Bombers following the St Kilda match and they've had to reduce the number of players that they have, although the way we did the practice him, it actually hasn't made that much of a, a difference. Uh, Peter Wright and Jordan really key, key people at each end are back in the side. Uh, but uh, some of the key outs, uh, obviously, Sam Draper, Jake Kelly, Ben Hobbs and, and Dylan Sheila still missing through recovering from injury. Uh, and Dyson Heppel was a, a bit of a surprise out, but it does seem like there's some personal issues there uh, based on what was said on 7 News tonight. Uh, hopefully those personal issues aren't too serious for Dyson um, and he's able to come back and be able to push for selection in round one. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty healthy list at the moment, mate. Touchwood, it, it continues that way. Uh, Baldwin and and Hunter are obviously the the other two who are unavailable for selection and will be for some time. I did see that Sam Draper's been named in the VFL squad. So, uh, yeah, he'll get a, a bit of a run under his belt, which is good to see as he looks to, to make himself available for round one. Yeah. Well, look, you've done a deep dive into Geelong's practice match. So, let's see what, what they did there and uh, what we can take out of that, what to expect against them. And they did travel to to Carlton and uh, they did beat them at uh, Carlton's home of Icon Park, 10-13-73 to 8-8-56. It was an absolute stinker of a, of a day that I think was 38 degrees when, when they were playing. So I guess how much do we take away from that match about where Geelong are at and, and what we can expect coming up on Friday? I mean, mate, if you ever want to... Uh an example of why you shouldn't take what happens in match sim seriously at at all. I watched this game to the 17th minute mark of the third quarter and then then you know and, and quite intently and then and then switched it off and and I switched it off because by that stage of the game after a goal was scored rather than going back to the middle of the ground and and bouncing it or or having a center bounce ball up as you normally would they went to the boundary and, and threw the ball in instead because the coaches had decided that they wanted to to practice throw in. So it, this turned into something that that didn't even resemble a, an AFL match by the end of it. It was really hot weather, as you touched on. So it was pretty unnatural conditions. And uh and you know, also Geelong really threw their team around. They they sort of had four or five blokes who who didn't come on the ground at all in the first quarter who then played on the second quarter so um yeah they they really were switching around and, and rotating quite heavily uh at the quarter breaks rather than than just 
you know, during the quarter. There was a couple of things that stood out though, mate, and and not not new things at all, but just just real things that that seem to have become a core part of the Geelong game and and you know evolved a little bit. The use of Mitch Duncan at halfback, he he played some footy back there last year, so that's not new in its own. But his positioning and stoppages in the back half of the ground really caught my eye. He was in a really aggressive position. He was letting the Blues high half forward go into the contest and and not following that player in. He positioned himself to to defend the forward exit, but he got really close to the clearance. Uh, so if, if Carlton ran it out, he was in a position to try and slow that down. But more than that, he was also in a position to run and receive when the Cats won it. And there are a few times um, where he was able to get on the uh, on the end of a couple and, and and take the ball forward. So really aggressive move by Geelong there uh, with a really classy and experienced player. There were a few times, though, where he was beaten back inside 50 by his Carlton opponent and they were able to get overlaps going forward. So it's one that, you know, we have to watch if we don't win the clearance, but also one that maybe we can exploit when we do, uh, it, you know, if he's got someone on him who's who's a bit fleeter afoot. And then Grian Myers really picked up where he left off and, and again, matched him. Let's not take too much out of it, but it does look like he's taken his fitness and, and his game to another level. He was starting at a half as a half forward or even at times on a wing getting right up the ground and essentially playing as an extra midfielder, but working back really hard inside 50. His hands at the contest were really, really clean. And and most of Geelong's good stuff in the first half he was involved in. There were moments, and just sort of finally, there were moments in the in the game where Carlton did a really good job of holding Geelong up and, and locking the ball in their own forward line, you know, with that high press that, that Carlton really tried to get better and better at through last year. But Geelong did expose them once they got the ball out of the back of it. And this is probably more of a, a look at Carlton than it was necessarily Geelong. And, and perhaps it was due to not having Wiedering to really marshal the, the troops in, in the back six. But once that first line of resistance broke, Geelong were able to get the, the ball through the next line pretty comfortably. And, and they went coast to coast from kick-ins. Uh, I, I did write it down, but I think it was something like five of the first six times for the match. So that'll be a bit of a watch for us because, you know, we're, we are a team who is looking to to press up the grand higher, but can, you know, McKay, McKay, Reid and, and Ridley do a better job than what Carlton did at, at shifting our defence to be able to, to hold Geelong up from going end to end. I get you, you touched on the, the younger players when we went through their, their, Key ins and their key outs. Uh, what what did you notice from those those younger Geelong players who you know are going to have to take on the mantle from some of their old aging stars in the coming years? Yeah, it's no secret that Geelong have got some uh, top end talent that is really starting to get on in years now, and and a lot of that has been around the midfield. Selwood's obviously now second year out. Uh, Dangerfield's getting on and, and uh, Guthrie's, you know, he missed a lot of last year through injury. He, he looks like he's going to be out for the long term again. So, you know, they are, you can see it in their list strategy. They've really gone and targeted some talent from other clubs to to bring in and, and rejuvenate their midfield. Tanner Bruin started in there. He's, he's second year at the club coming across from GWS and, and looked good. Jai Clark was their first pick in 2022 and, and he played as well and, and looked quite good. And then Jack, Bowers, he was sort of the uh, the steak knives in that pick seven deal, wasn't he? Uh, that got hit, got that got them. Jai Clark in the end. Uh, I really liked his game. He spent a fair bit of time in the midfield. He looked really confident. He was running and carrying from stoppages, and he gives them something that, other than maybe Dangerfield at their best, they haven't had a lot in their midfield. It has been a little bit one paced. If we were to 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 criticise it, 
and and Jack Bowers looks like he adds a dynamic in there that they don't have a lot of. Toby Conway started in the ruck. He was picked 24 in the 2021 national draft. He's a bit of an old school ruckman, a bit of a mummy Mumford sort of style about him. He's only played the one game so far. He's still only 20 years of age, but I think he has a really bright future. As we touched on, he's been left out of this match. Uh, and then, you know, sort of two, just to finish on, uh, Shannon Neal, he's a 202-centimetre key forward, pick 33 back in 2023. So he's now been on the list a few years. He looks like he's really filled out. He's quite athletic, covers the ground well. He did some relief rucking as well. So I, I imagine it'll be him and Stanley sharing the ruck duties um, and or blitz ups. So I guess they've, they've got the beauty of being able to use him wherever they want. At times, the Cats went with a really tall forward line. So they had... Uh, Neil Hawkins and Cameron, uh, you know, as three genuine key position forwards. Jeremy Cameron, though, of the three, was the one getting really high up the ground and really using that uh, that athletic prowess. So I, I wonder whether that's a matchup in in this sort of situation where uh, Laverde could be really, uh, you know, really well positioned to be able to take that. And then they had Henry and Dempsey as medium forwards in the mix as well. So yeah, a lot of height down there. And and speaking of Oliver Dempsey, I really liked his game. He was picked up in the 2021 rookie draft. So he's, he's still young, played wing and half forward. He's 189 centimetres. He's got some real pace and real smarts and he's a really hard runner. Uh, he took a massive screamer in the second quarter on on Blake Gakers as well uh, in the Geelong forward line. So yeah, he he's got something about him. I wouldn't be surprised if he um, you know if he puts in another good game against us, whether he's in there uh, round one side. Yeah. Well, look, let's turn our attention to the match itself, and this probably won't be as in depth as our normal match uh, tactics section will be when we're talking about regular season games, which where there's four points on the line. Um, but I think. The, the main thing that people are going to be looking at is is how the big acquisition of, of Ben Mackay, um, which almost was solely because of the way we were getting treated by players like Tom Hawkins, how he will go up against him in, in this, you know, practice match situation. So obviously not as taken as seriously as an actual match, but we want to get a sense of how he's going to handle a player like that who's caused us so much trouble. Yeah, Mackay held him to three goals last year, and and one of those came out of a, a stoppage. Uh, I can't remember now whether it was a throw in or a or a ball up against Coleman Jones. So Mackay wasn't even his direct opponent uh, at that stage, and we know how good Tom Hawkins or how effective he is in those situations. And then the other two came from general play. He got one sort of gimme where the ball bounced over Mackay's head, and uh, Mackay was really unlucky. So he, he didn't take a um take a mark and then turn around and kick a goal on him in a game where Geelong won comfortably down at Cadinia Park. And, uh, you know, those that that are uh, analyst-level subscribers of our Patreon would have seen the the clips of that that we put together during the preseason. So I've got some real comfort that he's going to come in and, and really, really help us against the likes of Hawkins uh, this year. Only Max King and Joe Danaher of the key forwards in the comp kicked more than three goals against North last year. Uh, from memory, they both kicked five. And, uh, you know, I think, King was in in Mackay's first game for the season. He missed the first few games. Um, and, and their matchups, I think we probably see Zach Reed take anyway, those more athletic, taller, um taller key forwards. So yeah, I'm I'm really comfortable with what he can offer. This is still a practice match, mate. So I'm not I'm not really gonna care too much how many goals individual players kick against us. I'm really Keen to see how those defensive hold handovers improve that we spoke about earlier and how Ridley 
falls into that mix and, and helps him. And then also how our ball use improves with Wright as a target up forward. And, and ideally, I know he's been picked on the bench behind and, and him and that extra speed getting added to our forward mix and how that, you know, and how that helps that defensive structure to hold up uh, if we can get our, you know, our share of deeper forward entries. Yeah. Well, that's the defensive aspect. What other areas of the ground are you looking at in particular to, to get something out of for this, this game? Yeah, look, it, it still is a practice match, mate. So I'm I'm really, you know, get, let's get out of there playing some better footy than we saw last week, some some improved ball movement, some improved defensive structure and handover and a really healthy list. And, and if we do that, I'm, I'm going to be really, really happy. I, I'm also curious to see whether we do do anything on the likes of those Mitch Duncan and, and Grian Myers roles to limit their effectiveness. Uh, I'm not too fussed if we don't, given it's a practice match. Mate, if it was a home and away, I'd, I'd probably be up for you know using a Gresham or a Hind on on Duncan and and then you know having having someone directly responsible for Myers at stoppages. But yeah, I'm I'm not you know I, I can take it either way to be honest. But if the if the other parts just look better than they did last week and and we see a bit more fluidity at, at all in all three thirds of the ground, I'll, I'll be largely happy. And then probably the final one I'd, I'd just be curious to to watch is can remember. Uh, when we most of us would have tried to wipe the game from our memory, but when we went down to Cadinia Park last year, Blitzar started the game as a midfielder and played there a fair bit of the night, and he just stood on Darcy Parish. He, he he bullied him. He he didn't let him get to the footy. We didn't have Setterfield at the time. Stringer was pretty crook and and you know played deep in the goal square and, and didn't have any real influence. So I'm curious if, if Blitzos comes in and plays as a midfielder at parts of this game, how we handle that situation and how we might use some of our bigger mids to counteract his influence around the contest as well. So, yeah, they're, they're the ones for me, mate. But, again, it's just uh, improving some of those key areas, moving the ball a little bit better, deeper entries, locking it in, better handovers down back, uh, and, and just getting through this game with a, a really healthy list to, to choose come round one. Yeah, just on that the Blitzar situation, it almost um, given it's a practice match, I would almost just tell Nick Cox you just go with him wherever he goes. Um, I think he's expressed that he, Blitzarves is someone that he's looking at as, as a model for him going forward, and you know what a better opportunity to to learn than than going up against him uh, and and doing exactly what he does. Uh, in a, in a practice match situation, I'm not sure that they would actually do that, and they want to put Co- fit Cox into a particular role. Uh, that he will play in the season and not a sort of a follower of, of, of a player like Blitzarves. But, you know, part of me would like to see him do that just so he learns and he can see what's required to, to play at that level and, and have that sort of impact. Yeah, it's a bit of an old school Kevin Sheedy move, isn't it? Give a kid a, a role. Uh, you know, Sheeds would do it in, in you know, home and away games as well. But particularly in practice matches, just, you know, go out there and, and learn from, you know, one of the best in the business at, at how he goes about it and and what it takes in terms of work rate and effort to get you to that next situation. And and if Blitzak, you know, comes out and kicks six and has, you know, 30 disposals, it probably doesn't really matter if, if it sets a bar for Nick Cox and, and how he, you know, needs to evolve and, and develop his game. So, yeah, I, I like the idea. I, Probably with you, it, it, it's probably not something that Brad Scott would do, but I, I certainly wouldn't be against it if it did happen, regardless of the impact it has on the scoreboard. Yeah. Well, look, let's let's start wrapping up. And uh, again, we've talked about uh, the, how we structure this show for new time listeners and where we sort of end is is talking about our, our final thoughts. And we 
at Donnerstat, we don't give predictions on the result. We do sort of project ahead of things we want to see happen and, and the like. So, obviously, coming off the back of the St Kilda result, what do we need to see from the Bombers this Friday in order to feel confident heading into round one that we're going to be an improved side in, in 2024? Yeah, nothing particular for me. And that sounds like a flippant answer, but I... I've been around long enough to to not take these games too serious. The things that we've already spoken about, you know, handovers and and improved ball movement are, are important, uh, and I would like to see them better. But I do, I'm confident already, mate, that we're going to improve this year, and 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 that we're going to give a good show of it in in round one. The, the only thing that would dint that confidence for me is if if the health of our list didn't stay in and about where it is now. So that's the one for me, mate. I'm just keen to see. Some more miles in the legs, some improvement around some key areas, but it doesn't have to result in a in a drastic you know turnaround on the scoreboard. It just has to look and, and feel a little bit better, and and we keep a healthy list. I'm I'm confident that that the other pieces are starting to build and and um and that we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. Well, look, that'll end us for tonight. Uh, thank you to you, Jono, for all the work you've put into this week's show. You've, you've done a lot of heavy lifting this week with with me having a bit of work to to keep up with. Um, so looking forward to hearing what you and Andrew come up with tomorrow night after the game. Again, hopefully there's a, a lot of positives to come out of it and you, you, really, you tell me afterwards that you really struggled to come up with the negatives there. Yeah, no, my pleasure, mate. Not a problem. I, I owe you a few. You you do most of the heavy lifting most weeks, so I'm, I'm more than happy to to fill the void this week for you. And, yeah, I hope you have a, a great weekend away with the family, mate. Uh, I am heading down to KP tomorrow. Uh, it's International Employee Appreciation Day tomorrow, March the 1st. So uh, great timing. Work's given us the afternoon off, and, uh, yeah, we can do whatever we like, and, and I'm going to get in the car and head down the highway and uh, – catch up with a uh, friend of the show, Robert Shaw as well, and, and watch the game with him, which will be great. So looking forward to to getting out there and, and having a look at the Dons and yeah, watching some footy. So yeah, you have a great weekend, mate. Cheers. Well, hopefully it's a better experience than the last time you drove down to Geelong, which was that game at the end of last season. And yeah, I think you, you decided halfway through the first quarter, you, you'd made the wrong decision there, but look, cheers, mate. Uh, stay safe, everyone and go Dons.